All right, uh, if you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 25. We're going to read verses 14 through 30 this morning. Uh, normally, this verses will be on the slides, but we don't have slides. So if you don't have a Bible, there's probably some under the chairs. And the passage this morning is on page, let's see, 831 in those Bibles. Again, that's Matthew 25. We're going to read verses 14 through 30. But before we do that, I just want to talk a little bit about what we're going to do today as we look at God's Word together. So last week, Daniel started this four-week series on stewardship. And he talked about how God owns everything. He, he owns all of it, and we are part of all of it. So God owns us. That means that we're not our own. Our lives aren't our own. He talked about stewardship being this thing where we have responsibility or we have care for something over which we're not the ultimate authority. And at one point of the sermon last week, Daniel asked us in the audience to give a list of things that stewardship applies to, things that we're stewards over. And this was the list that we came up with last week. Parenting, money, gifts, homes, bodies, time, knowledge, jobs, the gospel, pets, the earth, possessions, and relationships. And we obviously could have gone further, but there is this, this stewardship is an all-encompassing thing because God owns all of it and entrusts some of it to us. And so anything that we have in our lives is something that we are a steward over because it doesn't ultimately belong to us. It ultimately belongs to God. And so we're going to do this four-week series on stewardship. And the reason why we're doing it is, is four things. And Daniel talked about this last week too. The first reason we're doing it is because the Bible talks about stewardship a lot. And we want to be a church that spends our time talking about the things that the Bible talks about. And so we're going to talk about stewardship. The second reason is we've never done it before as a church. We've never really talked about stewardship or money or things like this. Part of the reason why we haven't done that is because uh, a lot of us grew up in churches where money was talked about all the time. And so we didn't want to be one of those kinds of churches where when people come for the first time, they hear us talking about money. So if you're here today and this is your first time, know that we don't talk about this all the time. Uh, but we want to talk about it because the Bible talks about it. The third reason why we're doing it is because some people that go to BC asked us to do a series on stewardship. And so since people from the body want to learn about it and want to hear about it, we want to, to teach on it. And the fourth reason is when we did that survey as part of the merger process with Fifth Street, one of the areas in which it said we were weak is stewardship. And so we want to be a church that doesn't just celebrate our strengths, but also works on our weaknesses. And so that's why we're doing this. So last week, Daniel talked from kind of a high level about what stewardship is. Today, I'm going to talk about being a good steward. Next week, Ben Struther is going to talk about us being cheerful givers. And then the last week, I'm going to talk about Jesus' command to us to give to everyone who asks and talk about what, what we do with that command and how we fulfill it. Um, and so to get started this morning, we're going to read this passage. But uh, before we do, since I said I'm going to talk about being a good steward, I just want to kind of preface this by saying I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to tell myself everything we need to do this morning in order to be good stewards. 
Uh, I'm going to give us a list of things to do, but we need to be aware of the fact that that list isn't an exhaustive list, right? Because when we hear, you know, a five-step process, a lot of times we're tempted to leave and think, if I just do these five good things, then I will be a good steward, but it doesn't work that way. And the reason why it doesn't work that way is because since stewardship is such this, a big, huge idea, and since there's all those areas I listed earlier in which we can be good stewards, I can't possibly tell you, I can't possibly tell myself all the things that I need to do in order to be a good steward this morning. The reason why is, is twofold. First, we don't have enough time. You don't want me to talk that long, and I don't want to talk that long. The second reason is I'm not you. And you're not me. And so I can't tell you about every area in your life in which you need to be a good steward. And you can't tell me about every area in my life in which I need to be a good steward because we're different people. And God has entrusted to us different things and gifted us in different ways. And so instead of me giving us this list of all these things we need to do in order to be good stewards, we're going to look at this passage and we're going to see five simple truths that it teaches us about being good stewards. And if we do these five simple things, it will put us on a trajectory to be good stewards in all those areas in our lives. So let's read Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30 this morning. This is Jesus speaking, and this is what he says. He says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he, and he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given more, and he who will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. That, that you haven't left us alone in your creation, but that you have revealed yourself to us. That you've given us your word and in it you tell us uh, who you are and what you've done for us. And you tell us who we are and, and what you desire from us. 
So God, we pray this morning that as we, we look at this parable in Matthew, that, that we would learn more about what it means to be a good steward, that we would learn more about, about what you desire us to do with the things that you've entrusted to us. God, I pray that uh, we would be motivated to, to leave this place and walk in obedience and, and glorify you through how we live your, our, our lives and through how we, we steward what you've given us. We thank you for your grace. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So the parable of the talents. And there's, there's five things I want us to see as we work through this passage this morning. The first thing comes in the very first verse. He said, It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. So there's this guy, and he's got servants, and he has property. And he takes his property, and he entrusts it to his servants. So this parable is about stewardship, because these servants are taking care of something that doesn't belong to them. It doesn't belong to them, it belongs to their master, but their master has placed it in their care, so they're stewards. So this parable is about stewardship, but the first thing we need to see is that this parable isn't primarily about stewardship. It's actually about something else. He says, for it will be like a man going on a journey. So stewardship is the illustration of something else. He's trying to make a greater point. So the question we need to ask is, what is it? What's this it that stewardship is going to tell us more things about? And the it is what Matthew, or what Jesus in Matthew has been talking about in chapter 24 and 25. He's been talking about the coming of the kingdom of heaven. He's been talking about the fact that, that Jesus, who came, right, he was born as a human being. He brought the kingdom of heaven down here when he started preaching. He said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When he worked miracles, when he cast out demons, when he taught, he preached the gospel of the kingdom. He did miracles uh, announcing the arrival of the kingdom. He brought God's rule and reign down here. And then he is getting ready in Matthew 24 and 25 to leave. And so what he's going to do is he's going to take that message of the kingdom and that ministry of the kingdom and he's going to entrust it to his disciples. And then he's going to come back and he's going to hold them accountable. He's going to hold them responsible for what they've done with that message, for what they've done with that ministry. And so when he's telling us this parable about stewardship, it's actually about the kingdom of heaven. The reason why stewardship matters, the reason why it matters what we do with the things that God's entrusted to us is because we do those things as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We do those things to point to and demonstrate and tell people who God is and what he's done for them. So the first thing we need to see in this passage is that in order to be good stewards, we need to keep the big picture in mind. Stewardship isn't about us. We don't do it just so we can say, hey, we're good stewards. You know, we handle our money well, or we parent our kids well, or we, you know, are hard workers at our jobs. Stewardship isn't about us. It's about God. It's about his kingdom. About, it's about his good news message. And so stewardship matters because the kingdom of heaven matters. So the first thing is that we need to keep the big picture in mind. The second point comes in the next two verses. He says, to one, he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. So the master calls his servants. He's going to entrust his property to them. He gives one of them five talents, one of them two talents, and one of them one talent. He says that it's each according to their ability. So about this, we need to recognize two truths. The first 
is who determines their ability. Right? Who gets to decide which one gets five talents, which one gets two talents, which one gets one talent? It's the master. Right? In the same way, God gives us gifts according to his desire. It's his decision. He makes it. We don't get to decide what we get and how much we're entrusted with. The second truth that we need to recognize is that we all think that we're five-talent servants. Or if we're not, we want to be, and we think we should be. Right, God, why haven't you given me what you've given this other person? How come you haven't entrusted to me what you've entrusted to them? How come I just got one talent, and they got five talents? That brings us back to point number one. Right, we don't get to decide. We don't determine our ability. We don't determine what the master entrusts us with. He does, because he's the master, and we're the servants. Um, And so the second point is that we should just stop comparing ourselves to other people. We cannot, we cannot be good stewards when we're comparing ourselves to others. And so don't think, you know, five talents, two talents, one talent. And I think that even here is a place where we need to remember that this is a parable. This is an illustration. Uh, And so don't, don't push the numbers too far. Don't think about giftedness. Don't think about stewardship in terms of numbers. And I think Peter can help us out here. So if you flip over to 1 Peter, he talks about this principle in a slightly different way, which I think is a lot easier for us to understand. We're going to look at 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11. He says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. So here's a place where Peter is talking about stewardship, just like Jesus through this parable is talking about stewardship. And he's talking about how different people get entrusted with different things. He says that uh, each one has received a gift, so everybody is given a gift, and we're given gifts according to God's varied grace. So first of all, we need to recognize that anything we have in our life, anything that's been entrusted to us, anything that we're stewards over, so that big, long list earlier, money, kids, homes, jobs, pets, possessions, everything we have is given to us because of God's grace. The second thing is that God's grace is varied. He gives different things to different people. All of us are beneficiaries of his grace. But some people are given things that we don't have, and we're given things that people, other people don't have. And Peter specifically talks about the area of gifts, and then he gives us two examples. He says, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength God supplies. So there's some people that are given gifts to speak. Some people are given gifts to serve. And so the question is, is the person that speaks better than the person that serves? No. Is the person that serves better than the person that speaks? No. Right? They're both beneficiaries of God's grace. They're both given grace by him. They're both called to use those gifts for what? What does Peter tell us? Why do they do these things? Why does the one speak? Why does the one serve? They do it in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So the purpose of the speaking is to glorify God. The purpose of the serving is to glorify God. But what happens if we don't do that? 
right? What happens if I'm up here and I'm speaking and I'm thinking, I'm so much better than all those people that are serving in childcare, right? They're just serving. I'm speaking. That's so much better. Who am I glorifying right now? Me. If, if I'm on the other side and I think, man, those people in childcare, they're doing the hard thing right now. This is easy. Then I'm glorifying the people in childcare. Instead, what I should be doing is focusing on using the grace that God has given me to glorify him and to draw my attention and your attention to him and not us. And those people that are serving in childcare should be serving in childcare, not to just think that they're great, you know, martyrs for the kingdom of God by changing diapers and dealing with crazy kids. They're doing it to glorify God. They're doing it so that we can sit in this room and listen and pay attention and benefit from the things that God's word tells us. So, stop comparing yourself to other people. Because when you compare yourself to other people, you're either focused on yourself or you're focused on them. You're not focused on being a good steward. You're not focused on using the things that he has given you to glorify God. So, don't get hung up on the fact that you're a two-talent servant or a five-talent servant or a one-talent servant. Recognize that all of those people have things from God entrusted to them to use to glorify him, to share his gospel and advance his kingdom. That's the second thing. So, keep the big picture in mind. Focus on the fact that it's not about stewardship, but it's about his kingdom. The second one is stop comparing yourself to others. Instead, glorify him with what he's entrusted you with. The third thing is that stewardship requires hard work. So flip back over to Matthew 25. And I know that I said like three minutes ago, don't focus too much on the numbers, but now we're going to focus on the numbers. So 16, he says, he would receive the five talents when at once and traded them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more, but he who had the one talent dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So, talent. I know that when we use the word talent, we're talking about like an ability or a skill. But here, it's important to recognize that talent is a unit of money. So like a dollar or a franc or a euro. It's, it's a currency. And if you have an ESV, there's a footnote down at the bottom that tells us how much it's worth. He said, it says, a talent was a monetary unit worth about 20 years wages for a laborer. So 20 years wages for a laborer. Right now, uh, according to Wikipedia, which is always reliable, the median income in Hannibal is about $30,000. So if we said that's, you know, a laborer's wage, yearly wage, $30,000, six times, or no, 20 times 30 would be $600,000 would be a talent right now. So the one talent guy gets $600,000. Who wants to be the one-talent servant now, right? (laughs) That's not a small thing to be entrusted with. A two-talent guy gets $1.2 million, and the five-talent guy gets $3 million. So Jesus doesn't tell us what these guys do. He doesn't tell us how long the master is gone. He does tell us what happens. At once, it says, at once, the servant goes out, the five-talent servant goes out, and he gets to work. He trades does something, does work in order to take his master's money, and he takes that $3 million and turns it into $6 million. The two-talent guy takes the $1.2 million and turns it into $2.4 million. The one-talent guy 
goes out in his backyard and buries $600,000, which is nuts, which is why the master at the end is like, you could have at least put it in the bank. The point is that these guys, the two-talent guy, the five-talent guy, they worked, right? We don't know what they did, but they did something in the time that their master was gone to double the money that they've been entrusted with. That's not something that is easy to do. I've never had $3 million. But I imagine that it's probably difficult to take that $3 million and turn it into $6 million. It certainly isn't something that we can do by being lazy. It's certainly not something we can do by not working. And so we need to recognize that good stewardship, in order for us to be responsible for the things that God has entrusted us with, it's going to take hard work. And really, that shouldn't come as a surprise to us. One of the things on that list was parenting. Right To be good stewards of our kids, to be responsible parents, to parent them well, I think we all recognize that that's not easy. It takes hard work. There are sleepless nights. There are sleepless days. There are sick kids. There's puke. There's, there is pain and suffering in the life of a parent. And it's something that we have to do if we want to be good stewards of our kids. Our jobs are hard work. In order to be a good employee, in order to, to do what your boss wants you to do, it's, it's not easy. And so we should recognize that stewardship takes hard work. But we should also know, right, Peter told us that we are stewards of God's varied grace. And so it's not just about our effort. It's not about us pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and just, you know, setting our jaw and gritting our teeth and working hard. It's about us working in the strength that God has empowered us with. We are stewards of his grace. And so as we work hard to be good stewards, we do it through grace-empowered effort. Uh, And we do it because we want him to be glorified through how we live our lives. And so keep the big picture in mind. Know that it's about his kingdom. It's not about you being a good steward. Um, Don't compare yourself to others. Instead, focus on glorifying God. The third thing is stewardship is hard work, but... It's work that's empowered by his grace. And the fourth thing is know who your master is. So the next little section here says that he, uh, the servant comes, verse 19, now for a long time the servant of those, master of the servants came and settled accounts with them. He would receive the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. So here the master is calling his servants to account for their stewardship. He's asking them what they've done with what they've been entrusted with. So the five-talent guy 
plops down his $6 million. The master is happy about that. The two-talent guy plops down his $2.4 million. The master is happy about that. And notice that when the master rewards his servants, what he says to them, he says the same exact thing to the five-talent guy and the two-talent guy. It's not about how much money they have. It's about the fact that they were good stewards. And so they both get told, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So they both get the same reward, even though one, you know, he's got more money. The second thing is that we should see that it's the the servant who does nothing that boasts about how much he knows his master. He says, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So he knew enough about his master to be afraid of the consequences of losing his money, but he didn't know enough about his master to be pushed into obedience, to actually do what his master wanted him to do with what he had been entrusted with. And so I think that we should see in this that a a superficial knowledge of who God is and what he's like and what he wants from us is not enough to cause us to walk in obedience and do the things that God actually requires of us. Last week, Daniel, kind of towards the end of his sermon, he gave a list of things that we can do to kind of start being good stewards. And one of them was know your master's instructions. Right? If we want to be responsible with what God has entrusted us with, we need to know what God wants us to do. Right? If we're going to be good parents or good employees or, or a good spouse, we need to know the things that God tells us in his word about those areas of our lives in order to be good stewards in them. And so if we want to be good stewards, we need to know who God is. We need to know what he wants from us. And that should motivate us to be people who please him through how we live. I think that really, even though the first two servants don't boast about the knowledge they have of their master, their actions show that they really knew who he was. They wanted to please him. They wanted to be able to enter into the joy of their master, and that's why they were good stewards over what he entrusted them with. So keep the big picture in mind. Stop comparing yourselves to others. Work hard. Uh, Know who your master is. And the last one is know or or remember that judgment is coming. That's how it ends. He says, but his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here, Jesus is teaching us that that we will be held accountable for how we steward what God has entrusted us with. Uh, Either in a positive way, and we'll enter into the joy of our master. We'll get to be with him where he is. We'll get to live with him in the new heavens and the new earth. Or we will, be, we will enter into judgment. We'll be cast out into the utter darkness uh, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so I think we need to remember that judgment is coming, that it's a real thing. Um, and I know that that's something that we don't like to think about and we don't like to talk about. Um, instead, we want to we wanna focus on how, how grace motivates us because that's a, that's a happy thing and that's a fun thing. But we need to remember that in Scripture, fear and warning motivates us too. Um, but it motivates us in a, in a different way than grace does. And so when we, when we went through Hebrews and we, we saw all those warning passages there, we talked about 
um, this, this illustration for the difference between how fear motivates us and how grace motivates us. And it's, it's, it's like rock climbing, right? So if you imagine somebody that's, that's on the side of a, a rock face and they, they want to get to the top and they're tired and they're exhausted and they're you know, kind of searching for that next handhold so they can move up, like what is it that's motivating them towards the top? It's, it's not that they're afraid of the ground, right? Fear of falling doesn't push them forward. What pushes them forward is the desire to get to the top and to see that beautiful view up there that, that not that many people have, other, have, have ever seen. And so they want to get up there to say, like, I made it to the top. I got where I wanted to go. But the fear of falling also motivates them. But it's different. The fear of falling motivates them to, to pay attention and to be careful and to make sure that they put their foot and their hand in the right place so that they don't fall, because falling would be a bad thing. So it's not the fear of the ground that pushes them up the cliff, but the fear of the ground comes into play. And I think that the way judgment works in Scripture is very similar to that. Right? We don't live the Christian life, and we don't strive to be good stewards of what God has entrusted us with just so that we don't go to hell. We don't want to go to hell. That would be bad. The way that it's described in Scripture is scary and terrifying and awful. But that's not what causes us to obey God. What causes us to obey God is the desire to be with him where he is. It's the desire to enter into the joy of our master. It's the desire to hear him say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. We want to be good stewards because of his grace, because of who he is, because of our relationship with him. But that fear also motivates us to be careful and pay attention to how we're stewarding and how we're walking in the way that he's called us to walk. So fear motivates us, but it's in a different way. And I think it should also motivate us to be those who are good stewards, not just for ourselves, but for those around us, so that we're living our lives in such a way that's both speaking the gospel with our lips and also demonstrating the gospel with our lives. We want to be good stewards because of the kingdom of heaven. And we want to bring people into that uh, instead of living our lives separately in isolation from them. So the fact that judgment is coming should push us towards obedience. It should also push us towards sharing the gospel with those who are currently under that judgment. Uh, because we know the truth. We know that Jesus came and lived the life that we couldn't live. He obeyed in our place. He died in our place, bearing the penalty against us in our sin. He rose again three days later, announcing his victory over sin, death, and Satan. And if we trust in him, uh, his work counts for ours. Our sin is paid for, and we get righteous standing before the Father because of who he is and what he's done for us. That's something that we get to steward uh, as his people. And so I'm going to pray, and then Matt is going to come, and he's going to lead us in the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the reminder through this parable that everything we have has been entrusted to us by your Father. We thank you for the reminder that, that you will reward good and faithful servants. And also for the reminder that you will punish wicked and slothful servants. So we pray that you would send your spirit to empower us, to, to, to motivate us with the varied grace that you've given us to be good stewards and in, in all the different areas of our lives in which you've uh, given good and perfect gifts to us. 
I pray that the knowledge of, of judgment would motivate us to press on toward obedience when things get hard. And that also the reward held out before us would, would draw us closer to you. I pray that the, the reality of judgment would also motivate us to be faithful, to share the gospel and to preach the good news, to, to steward our lives well so that others would know who you are and what you've done for them, so that you would be glorified. I pray now that as we continue in our service, as we respond with the Lord's Supper, as we uh, sing a couple more songs, and as we, we, we hang out and talk afterwards, I pray that, that you would use us to, to magnify yourself, that, that we wouldn't be focused on what we're doing or what we're not doing or what other people are doing or not doing, but instead uh, that you would help us just to worship you and to glorify you with our bodies and our actions. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. It's in your name we pray. Amen.